to that older gentleman in the prion with the slightly outdated gear and the long gray flowing beard who gracefully makes everyone else on the river look bad. I'm Katie Gossis, your host, and welcome to Come Hell or High Water, a weekly podcast where I talk to people in whitewater about why and how they boat. If you haven't yet, go follow the pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And if you want to help support, become a patron on patreon.com. I hope everyone is having fun this weekend, Upper Yak Week, and at the Deerfield, despite the Deerfield Festival being canceled this year. With cooler weather rolling in, remember to put some extra fleece in those dry bags. This weekend, I get to spend a day with a BLM river ranger, tagging along and learning about what he does. That episode is upcoming, and it'll be a doozy. Today, I had the great pleasure to speak with someone who truly has their finger on the pulse of the whitewater community and works tirelessly to protect our rivers. He works as the communications director for American Whitewater. You know, that little organization all of us rely on for river levels, hazard updates, and the advocacy of our treasured paddling spots. You could say that we owe them a lot. Please help me give a hearty welcome to Evan Stafford. Thanks for talking to me today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Katie. Happy to be here. Uh, so the first question I always ask people is, like, what's your river craft of choice? Like, if you're going down, going out for a high water day, what do you boat in? Uh, the Dagger Rewind, my current favorite right now. Nice. How uh, many boats do you own? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have, I have family, so, like, we all have a boat or more, and, and then I have, like, ten. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> that's hard boats, I guess. I got two rafts, pack rafts, four stups. We got a lot of water crafts that's hanging awesome. around. The garage is totally stacked. I feel like that's required. The amount, correct amount of boats is uh, the amount you have plus one more. So. Yeah, I'm always ready. <laughs> So now you grew up in Denver. Um, did that enable you to like get into the outdoors a lot as a kid or? Yeah, it did. It did. Um, I didn't start kayaking until I went to college. Um, but I did spend a lot of time in the outdoors, especially just um, like hiking and, and backpacking was kind of my favorite thing to do uh, in the outdoors. Um, and also like skiing, snowboarding, um, uh, climbing, mountain biking, just kind of getting a taste of a lot of stuff. Um, but I also played, like, pretty competitive team sports growing up, so I didn't um, – I wasn't super competitive uh, in, like, outdoor sports uh, as a kid, but I loved it. Yeah. Loved getting outside, yeah. Um, now, did your parents do any of that stuff with you, or and did they get you into the outdoors, or – was it kind of something you found on your own? Uh, they they did get me into the outdoors. We like travel around the national parks. Um, my mom and I used to do a lot of hikes. Like send me to summer camp, like overnight summer camp in the foothills outside of Boulder, and that was like really transformative for me because um, you could kind of do all all the good stuff. And there was like a program where you kind of skip the day's activities, like go hiking or go climb a fourteener or like 
take a couple of days and go backpacking with some of the counselors and stuff. So that was really where I got like kind of surpassed my parents in the kind of outdoor stuff they like to do getting out in the backcountry kind of things. Nice. Yeah. And like you said, you started paddling in college. How did that come about? Did you have like a roommate or? Well, uh, like a college girlfriend actually saw like an ad in the college newspaper that was for like a spring break raft training trip. Um, so we both signed up for that and it was like training to be a raft guide. Um, and it was a, a trip down Ruby Horse Deep in Westwater Canyons of the Colorado River. American Rivers has this to say about the Colorado River. From its genesis on the Continental Divide in Colorado's Rocky Mountain National Park, the river originally known as the Grand grows from a cold mountain trout stream into a classic western waterway, slicing through jagged gorges between sweeping pastoral ranchlands on the upper leg of a 1,450-mile journey. The hardest-working river in the West is as diverse as it is unique, passing through no less than 11 different national parks and monuments as it tumbles through the varied landscapes of seven states and two countries. It's a critical water supply for agriculture, industry, and municipalities, from Denver to Tijuana, which fuels a $1.4 trillion annual economy. Fishing, whitewater paddling, boating, backpacking— Wildlife viewing, hiking, and a myriad of other recreational opportunities contribute some $26 billion alone. Um, so that was like probably my second or third time just going rafting, but it was definitely my first like taste of overnight rafting. Um, and I just totally fell in love with the whole thing at that point. Um, and then I, I trained as a raft guide that, that year, and but pretty immediately like saw kayakers on the river and kind of gravitated towards that as what I really wanted to like do for my personal craft of choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So it all kind of happened around the same time. Yeah. I, I agree with the uh, mentality of falling in love with it instantaneously and uh, yeah, it being the most, uh, the greatest relationship and the most expensive relationship. I've ever had. <laughs> So, like, how did, I know, how did you get involved with American Whitewater? Um, I, um, I kind of just found American Whitewater, like, through the journal, um, when I was a raft guy, there was, like, old ones just, like, hanging around the raft shop, um, and I'd always, like, read those when I was just waiting for trips and stuff, um, and I got pretty interested in the work. I was, um, in college getting a natural resource management degree, um. So it was pretty kind of directly connected to stuff I was working on. Um, I was taking watershed classes. And um, I also, I had a, a teacher and actually my future wife's advisor um, in grad school had um, basically gone to, during his grad school program with some of the guys who were doing research for American Whitewater um, some very influential um, people in terms of whitewater research, Bo Shelby and, and Doug Whitaker. Bo Shelby, PhD, is nationally recognized as a leading researcher on recreation and in-stream flows for recreation and has been involved in over 30 recreation flow studies that have collected data from over 45 rivers. He is also well known for his work on crowding and carrying capacity issues. 
He's a professor of forest resources and the director of the Natural Resources Program at Oregon State University. Doug Whitaker, PhD, has over 25 years of experience working on natural resource issues as an outdoor recreation planner with the Bureau of Land Management and National Park Service. He has published dozens of reports and journal articles and has made presentations at symposia and conferences across the country, about half of which have focused on in-stream flows for recreation. Um, and he was doing a lot of different kinds of research with them um, on wildlife and kind of other recreation related topics um and they were kind of the really like the the leaders in whitewater recreation research so i had a a connection to kind of do some research with them um and i did a master's project working with them um and then i kind of parlayed that into doing contract research for american whitewater nice and what's what specifically do you do for them nowadays well, nowadays, uh, I'm the National Communications Director, which is uh, a wide-ranging job because I'm uh, not only the director, I'm basically the whole department. Um, so I do everything from run the like social media channels, um, edit and gather the stewardship content that goes in the journal, um, send out the like monthly newsletter, um, I do all the kind of like uh, action alerts and event management kind of stuff um, or event communications. Um, I kind of manage our system of engagement for like reaching out to your representatives. So like kind of easy action forms where all you got to do is kind of sign or you can write your personal message and uh, just hit send and it finds your representative and sends them an email. Um on various, you know, uh, bills that are up before Congress, um, or, you know, when we want to reach out to an agency that's like closing access and kind of try to put public support behind opening it up, I kind of create the action, um, items to make it easy for people to, um, to engage with, with our topics basically. Wow. Yeah, you sound incredibly busy. Um, and we appreciate you for all the work because I know that uh, there's a lot of paddlers out there that wouldn't be able to enjoy the rivers that they do without a lot of the work that you do. Obviously, it's super important. So yeah, thanks. It's definitely not just me. It's a, it's a team effort. We have a, a small but um, very hardworking and efficient team. Um, and I really enjoy kind of being a bit of the glue. I kind of um, try to pull the projects that everyone's working on um, together and, you know, communicate that to like our community so they really understand how much we're doing. Um, so it's a, it's a really rewarding job. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, I know you guys are working on a pretty important initiative currently, your Paddle Wise campaign. And what can you tell me about that? Well, um, it's, uh, it's a partnership with NRS that we formed to kind of help us build out the, the design elements so that it would be an, a thing that would reach far and wide. And the concept behind it um, is that it's a responsibility code for river runners. And, and that just means um, we try to kind of encourage our community to... Um, represent 
the community whenever they're out on the river, whenever they're out, um, you know, doing their their favorite whitewater activity. Um, you know, it's important for the resource, you know, the river itself to use leave no trace principles um, and to kind of, you know, respect the river and and use the resource appropriately. Um, and then and then also kind of in, in social situations um, and it, it creates a better situation for us to work in places if, you know, the local community understands that um, paddlers are respecting the resource and respecting the place. Um, and then also in terms of just basic safety, we wanted to kind of put back out, um, return to, to really simple safety messages uh, because there's been a, a pretty big influx of, of new paddlers recently. Um, and also sometimes people kind of just forget some of the basics. So we wanted to, to put a campaign out there that just kind of brought the things to people that, you know, really can make your whitewater paddling safer without having, you know, a ton of education around it, just kind of knowing the, the basic principles of safe river running. Yeah, I mean, I, I came into whitewater through raft guiding, and I know that we got taught a lot of those principles, you know, going into it, like that was part of our training. But I'm sure for, you know, paddlers who come in through um, through a friend or come in through maybe a club, they don't necessarily get that that strict like guidelines of like these are the hard and fast rules of the river and this is you know how we respect the rivers that we're running um can you go over a couple of them just to kind of outline it yeah sure sure like the the main the main tenets of it are um to paddle smart paddle prepared paddle inclusive paddle safe paddle no trace paddle aware and paddle respectful. Um, and there's basically just kind of like bullet points underneath each of those uh, headings, um, you know, just to give one kind of example, like the paddle prepared uh, under its headings, plan ahead, consult existing beta, understand the international scale of river difficulty and your chosen river's rating and carry proper equipment, including medical kits, spare paddle, and emergency food layers. Um, so it's really like the most basic, um, you know, concepts for safe and um, respectable river running. But yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, it's it's really it's a great reminder for people who haven't kind of visited this kind of these kind of topics, and especially for new river runners, though. Um, you know, there's just stuff you don't know, especially if it's just your roommate or your friend that's got you into the river. You know, a lot of times you haven't even taken a class or definitely not a rescue course and probably not a leave no trace training. Um, and you might have some of the ideas in your head about what to do, but, um, you know, it's nice to just have a reference. Um, and that's, that's kind of the idea. Um, we've already seen a little bit of agency adoption. Um, and definitely like some good industry adoption, some rafting companies hanging it in their boathouses, um, you know, kayak and raft shops hanging it, hanging up the information. Um, and there, we have kind of a social media toolkit to make it really easy to share um, online. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely believe this is a super important framework for all paddlers, and I'm glad you guys are educating all the baby paddlers out there who maybe didn't have a formal education. Um, I know I've run into situations where uh, I have been on the river and found out that you know the people who are going out with me don't have med kits or don't have that spare paddle or you know, and the med kit thing is always the super important one for me. I mean, the chances of things going wrong are minimal, but they happen. And it drives me crazy when people aren't prepared because I'm overly prepared, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, raft guiding does a pretty good job of preparing you. Um, you know, when you're taking, you know, you're definitely almost always taking kind of newbies out on the river. So you, you got you got to be the one who knows what you're doing, you know, and carry that stuff. But in group kayaking setting or group rafting settings, um, where it's just you and your friends, you know, a lot of times that leadership role sort of falls on everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and people just haven't been educated. So that's, you know, the, the idea isn't to like shame anyone or like, you know, you should know this, but it's just, you know, you got to bring a throw rope when you go on the river, you got to, you know, bring, bring spare clothes in case it gets cold. Like just the most basic thing, bring snacks, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've handed somebody a Snickers bar because their blood <laughs> sugar got low on the river or whatever. And yeah. And right. I feel like people don't want to be the bad guy and, you know, speak up at the beginning of a trip and be like, who's got the med kit? Who's got a throw rope, all this stuff. But it's really that, like that 10 second checklist pause Hey, yeah, we have well, everything we need. Like, we know. want to encourage that, you know, too. Like, part of the idea with this is that, you know, it kind of increases, you know, people's knowledge who already, you know, know most of it and gives them an opportunity to, to educate their friends, you know, um, and to make it kind of fun, hopefully, you know, so it's not uh, a thing where it's, you know, one person has to know everything, you know, it's just a mat. It's just like, hey, we all got to know these things. And, and it's, real easy but just like you know pack out your pack out your poop like <laughs> don't leave your trash there i feel uh, like that like, shouldn't have to be said but i guess it does <laughs> right yeah well it you know it does and 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 that's great like getting more people out on the water um is encouraging to see and you know the more people that connect with the river um the more people there are um to to take a leadership role in the stewardship of the river um you know we we really believe that um you have to care about the the place that you're protecting and the best way to do that is for people to get their butt in a boat and take it down the river yeah 100 percent. like if you see it from the ground and you see or from the water and you really get to commune with that environment you definitely have more of a sense of ownership and wanting to protect it definitely um, so what, I know, what does it take to become a member of AW? Um, I know that there are different like membership levels and all that stuff, but how can people get involved with you? Maybe not just as a member, but as a volunteer or anything like that. So there's a lot of opportunities. Um, membership is, is really easy and that's really what drives our organization. Um, you know, the, the number of, of voices that we represent, um, is directly related to how strong our advocacy is for rivers. So, you know, the more members we have, the more voices we represent. Um, membership is, is pretty inexpensive. Um, it's $25 for students. 
Um, the basic membership is $35 for adults. Um, and that's per year, AW guys. Journal. So, like, yeah, it's not super year. expensive. <laughs> no, no. You know, it's, it's per year. But um, you get five issues of the American Whitewater Journal. Um, and you get to know you're supporting river stewardship. Um, there's tons of volunteer opportunities, though, also. What what also really pushes our organization is that we work with local nonprofits and we work with just um, motivated individuals at a local level, um, you know, who really want to see enhanced flows for their river. They really want to see a better management plan for their river. They really want to improve access to their river um, or they really want to protect it. Um, and so, you know, we kind of tap into the energy of our volunteers and that really makes our work go further. Um, and so, you know, being a member is, is, is great and it's definitely an awesome first step. Um, or, you know, if you don't have any money, being a volunteer is a great first step. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things, you know, you can engage with are like those, those action alerts um, where we're asking you to write to your member of Congress or, or the, the Forest Service about a river issue that's important to you. Um, those little steps um, really help us, you know, make our mission a reality. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, getting involved with river cleanups, I know tons of local organizations, paddling groups, stuff like that, who even do just river cleanups, like give your Saturday and help clean up and, you know, any little bit you can do helps on the volunteer side. Yeah. And we, and just to know, you know, we really also stress like enjoying the river um, you know, that's a, a big part of our mission too. And, and that's the reason we all do it is because we love to get out in the river. So, you know, I think, I think paddlers have kind of a, an arc in their relationship to the river. Um, you know, some start right from the bat, you know, interested in conservation issues, um, or just, you know, giving something back to the river, but a lot of paddlers just get out and they love paddling and, and that's the focus of their relationship to the river. Um, but I think, you know, most, paddlers follow kind of an arc that they get a lot out of the river and eventually uh it all kind of comes back and and they they start to give back to the river and it all comes in balance yeah Um, absolutely so you know you don't i don't think anybody has to feel bad about like just going and paddling every day enjoying the river um but you know you just start to kind of plant that seed um most paddlers really end up giving a lot back to the resource yeah, your river's done a lot for you. What can you do for your river? It's true. <laughs> it's it's that's been that's been my uh, story for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you have any good paddling stories? <laughs> oh wow. Um, I mean, <laughs> like a lot, I guess. I don't know. It depends what direction you wanna you wanna take the paddling <laughs> story. Um. You know, I can tell you some stories where I, I didn't paddle wise. That's usually, uh, those, are, those usually make the good stories, but uh, sometimes aren't the safest or uh, best experiences. Yeah, throw um, me one. Like, tell me the thing that you're like nowadays or like, that wasn't smart and I could have done that differently. <laughs> I could have done so much differently. Um, <laughs> well, I... I tell you one from a long time ago i guess i uh uh there's there's a big rapid on the pooter it's kind of the 
the main rapid that people know called Pineview Falls. According to American Whitewater, this section of the Poudre River that Evan is describing is a class 3 to 4 section of river with a length of about 2.4 miles. The average gradient is 67 feet per minute, and the flow range is between 250 and 2,500 CFS. It's also where the, uh, the gauge that most people use for the river is, which is just kind of spray-painted on a big rock, a, a foot gauge. Yeah. Um, and uh, some friends and I showed up, like, super late to the river um, on purpose, like, moonlight run and uh just there's a raft full of, of friends we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go put in and, and do it in the dark and we uh, call that a croak float back east <laughs> nice yeah I mean, it's gonna be awesome um and uh you know it <laughs> it's uh we're we're there like getting ready and, and a guy who i've become uh friends with is hang is uh, lives like kind of near there, um, but I didn't really know at the time. And he's actually uh, part of the fire department now, um, and works on search and rescue team and, and all that stuff. Um, at the time, I think he was just working for a brewery though. Um, but he showed up and was like, "What are you guys doing?" <laughs> uh, and he tried to kind of dissuade us at first, but there, that wasn't that wasn't happening. Uh, but he, Eventually, he was just like, okay, well, I'll run safety for you guys. Um, <laughs> and it was a good thing because a few people ended up falling out, swimming <laughs> swimming down the bottom of it. Uh, we pulled them out with a rope, and they, they might have been okay, but it was just sort of a pretty uh, a small but unnecessary misadventure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we may, we may have been in a state that paddling wasn't like the best idea at that moment either um so yeah <laughs> you can you can do those things when you're young and, and get away with it but you feel uh, invincible <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> but it's, it's best to go you know at least with a, as a couple boats and have safety and know what you're getting into and be be skilled enough that if you're going to go in the moonlight uh you're not like falling out of the raft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 the two thing. boat thing is such a priority. I know a lot of boaters who I'm friends with who will go kayaking or go rafting with just one boat and don't have anybody with them. And that can, you know, that can turn dangerous really quick. And I don't think people really think that through when they do it. So, yeah, you know, especially uh, rafting, I think, and especially at like high water. Um, yeah, you know, things can, things can, can turn bad quickly and without a, without other rafts, without other boats in the water, it's real hard for the, for the craft that's having trouble to end up rescuing people at the same time. So, yeah, absolutely. And especially like if the whole raft flips, what are you going to do? Do it on top. I mean, you can do it from on top of the raft, but that's not ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. For sure. Well, uh, yeah, Evan, thank you so much for taking time out on your Friday to uh, to talk to me. Everybody go check out AmericanWhitewater.org if you haven't. It's a great resource for river levels, put-ins, takeouts. Uh, it's just a wealth of knowledge for someone, especially if you're running a section that you haven't seen before. It's a great resource. 
and become a member. Uh, Evan, where can people find you on social media? Uh, just um, American Whitewater, at American Whitewater on Instagram um, and Facebook and, and uh, at Amer Whitewater on Twitter. Um, yeah. Follow us there. Thanks for the shout out, Katie. Appreciate the conversation. Yeah, for sure. And uh, are you hitting any paddling festivals here in the near future? Um, yeah, well, we just had a great time where I saw you at uh, the, the North Fork Championships. Um, a lot of the festivals in Colorado kind of passed, so that's um, we, we were at those. So if we missed you there, um, we'll be having our like Gore Fest race in Colorado coming up. Um, We'll be at the Deerfield River in September. Um, the Featherfest race in California is also in September. Um, and we'll also be doing kind of our, um, we won't be having our full Golly Fest this year, unfortunately. We kind of ran out of uh, planning room for the for the big event, but um, we'll still be we'll still be out there at the Golly. Um, it's kind of a, a grassroots event. Um, so I have some food for folks and we'll be out there kind of doing some education and, and really just getting on the river with folks um, around our same Golly Fest uh, weekend. Uh, and we should be back to normal festivals in 2022. Lord willing in the creek don't rise, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. And uh, yeah, you have a good rest of your weekend and get out and paddle. All right. You too. Okay, folks, this is a part of the podcast I like to call Reading Water, where I read you your river stories. This email is titled The Room of Doom. Let me set the scene. I'd just come back from four years living in Phoenix, so my whitewater had been pretty limited and I hadn't been in a raft since leaving West Virginia. I set up a trip with a few friends to go to the first release weekend of the Gully. After driving five hours to the put-in, everyone bails on the trip and no one shows. No surprise. I always say the hardest thing to get boaters to do is go boating. Well, not going to stop me. I came prepared with a backup plan. Tubing. Hitchhiking is easy when all your gear fits in your lap. So I grab my tube and some beer, drive down to the lower golly takeout, and catch a ride back to the top. I had a lovely relaxing day on the lower golly, but I always forget about all the flat water at the end. Not a big deal. I'm about to take a nap. But then a storm rolls in. Just before it hits, a stranger in an IK paddles up and offers to tow me the rest of the way if I'll shuttle him back up. Deal. While we're driving, my new stranger friend tells me about Not Swiss Fest. Never heard of it. So I show up, his group feeds me, and offers me all the beer I can drink. There's a band playing. It was a great time. After all this generosity, I have got to do something, so I suggest he and I are to the upper golly in the morning. The next morning, we get on the water, just the two of us. For the most part, I remember my lines, at least the important ones. Everything is going pretty well, but I'm reminded of a phenomenon other Shenandoah guides have experienced before. We tend to spin off rocks and squeeze through narrow slots. This seems to make a lot of other rafters uncomfortable. So my new partner spends the first half of the river throwing strokes. By the time we get to Pillow, he finally starts to trust me. When we get to Pillow, I decide we're taking the left line. The water will take us right to the Pillow and we'll barely have to paddle. In theory. My partner says he's never run that side, but he's excited. As we're going down just before we hit the Rim of Doom, he throws one back paddle. I don't know why he did it, but instead of slowing us down, it turns us left just enough to ruin my line. Instead of getting pushed river right by a wave, 
We floated right over it and plowed straight into the rock wall left of the Room of Doom. Very bad place to be. The raft folds end to end and sinks completely under the water, us along with it. Per tradition, I jump off Pillow Rock every year, so I'm not worried about the swim. I hold my breath and I wait. And I wait. And I wait. Okay, now I'm starting to worry. I'm running out of breath and I should have popped up by now. I'm reaching my arms and legs in every direction trying to get a hold of anything, but all I feel is turning water. At some point, I graze the raft with my hand and realize it's still right over top of me. I finally realize I'm stuck in the room. I desperately try to grab the raft and I suddenly feel a huge rush of water followed by a drop. Okay, that's the toilet bowl. By this point, I'm already doing that thing where you try swallowing to make it feel like you're breathing. But now I know where I am and I feel confident that I'll pop up soon. So I relax and start counting. No idea how long I've been under so far, but after the toilet bowl, I counted to about 47 seconds before I finally saw daylight. This was by far the longest I've ever been underwater. The first thing I see when I come up is a park ranger in a cataract parking in the middle of the river. He has a thrower up in one hand and a radio in the other. He slowly puts down the radio and offers me the rope. I shamefully nod my head, grab the rope, grab my raft as it floats by, and the ranger swings me into an eddy. He said he was just about to call us in, and I said I felt like it. I look around and see my partner popped up right after me. Water is pouring out of his nose, but he's breathing, so I pull the raft onto a rock and do what any responsible adult would do. I grab two beers from my bag, give one to my partner, and lay back, happy to be breathing. This should be a happy ending to a story, but alas, in my efforts to buy the cheapest beer available, I didn't realize until just now that I bought non-alcoholic beer. But even though I'm feeling utter defeat, it was the best beer I've ever had. That story comes from Nick Bonneau, and I definitely think that accurately portrays when you take a rough swim, you know, minus the non-alcoholic beer at the end, but... Remember, guys, if you want to send me your stories, uh, send them to comehellrhighwater at gmail.com. And if I like it, I'll read it out on the show. Thanks again to Evan Stafford for taking time out to talk to me today. If you have a boating event that you think I should announce, know someone I should interview, or just have a good river story to tell, don't forget to shoot me an email. Follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and like and subscribe on whatever platform you listen. This podcast is edited and produced by me, Katie Gossis, with the music written and performed by the band Buzzard's Glory. Go check out their music on Spotify. Hope you'll join me again next week, come hell or high water. Let's see the souls of the young